Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This week, the Bookshelf Cinema is screening Boyhood, Royal Opera House Nabucco, Magic in the Moonlight, and more. On Saturday, August 23rd, author Marissa Stapley is in the bookstore at 1 p.m. reading from her new book, Mating for Life. The Bookshelf is an independently owned culture hub located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph. Visit bookshelf.ca for more information. Creative Control with Beach Comic. I went to a little kid's birthday party yesterday and I'm feeling it today. I, you're not supposed to go all nuts at a kid's birthday party, but I I just feel like I can feel it in my throat. I think I got something. It's okay, I'll be fine, but I just want you to know that I have a thing and I'm working on it. Now, I have a couple of Ontario area-related announcements to make. This weekend, I'll be hosting not one, but two festivals. The first one is in Alora, Ontario. It's called River Fest Alora. And on Friday night, I'll be there hosting, uh, we'll, I'll be introducing the Strumbellas, Bahamas, Arkells, and Charles Bradley. That'll be fun. And then, for the rest of the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, I'll be at the Peterborough Folk Festival in Peterborough, Ontario. Nice of these folks to ask me to come and do these things. It's really fun. And so that's where I'll be. If you're there, come say hi. Don't be shy. And don't cry. Don't get high. Please don't lie. On the show today, Bahamas. Afi Irvinen is on the program. I just mentioned Bahamas. And uh, today, August 19th, 2014, the new album by Bahamas is out. It's called Bahamas is Afi. And I talked to him all about that. You're going to hear some new songs, get into his life history, reveal some secrets. I think it's a pretty grand episode. So here it is, myself, Afi Irvinen, a.k.a. Bahamas. Enjoy. See you this weekend. The Eden Mills Writers Festival is gearing up for its 2014 program, which runs September 11th to 15th, 
both in the city of Guelph and just 10 minutes east in the beautiful village of Eden Mills. Confirmed authors and musicians include Eleanor Catton, Lynn Cody, David Adam Richards, Miriam Taves, Anne Michaels, Heather O'Neill, Terry Fallis, Scott Merritt, Sandro Perry, Sean Michaels, Carl Wilson, and many more. There's also the 100-Story Wood Workshop, which unites Canadian authors and high school students for a day of writing on Monday, September 15th. For more information and to purchase tickets or sign up for workshops, please visit EdenMillsWritersFestival.ca. is a gifted musician and songwriter who works under the tropical moniker Bahamas. Over the years, Irvinen has been an in-demand guitarist who has worked with Feist, The Weather Station, and Zeus, among others. He's released three records of his signature folk-tinged rock over the past five years, earning a broad fan base and award nominations and critical acclaim along the way. His latest album is called Bahamas Is Afi, which is out now via Universal Music Canada, and it's prompted him to tour across the United States and Canada over the coming months, including a stop at Riverfest Alora on Friday, August 22nd. Here to discuss this further is Afi Yervinen. Uh, hi, Afi. How are you? Hey, Vish. I'm real well. Nice to be here. Nice to have you on the show. Now, where in the world are you, Afi? I'm, I'm in Toronto. I'm at home. I'm wearing shorts. I probably Maybe I shouldn't admit that, but I am wearing shorts. I'm in full-on uh, off-musician, off-season musician clothing. <laughs> <laughs> off stage there's a whole thing where you're not supposed to wear off short- stage you're not supposed to wear shorts on stage uh, yeah i've i've read all the manuals and everything i got every you know i read all the papers but uh i don't really subscribe to those rules anymore okay you I'm know such a i'm such a rebel you know <laughs> <laughs> the band thrush hermit used to have a thing do you remember thrush hermit yeah of course i know a lot of those guys they had a thing called sos if they had if they saw a band like an opening band or somebody or even if it was their own self, self-inflicted rule, I guess. SOS was yeah, stood yeah. for shorts on stage, bad thing. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, and so what they like all had to pay Joel like ten bucks or something. I I feel like it's a Rob rule. That seems like a Rob Benvy rule to me. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I I don't know. If, I wonder if Joel's ever worn shorts. It seems like. He's only in a denim uniform, a solid denim uniform these days. Yeah, I think you're probably right about that. Yeah, I can't picture yeah. him wearing shorts. But yeah, anyway, that that may, maybe that's where that came from. I don't know. Now, your right. your album title seems assertive and explanatory. <laughs> and okay. I'm, I'm curious, what's up with that? It's Bahamas is Afi seems, as I say, it's like a explanation. It seems like, hey, by the way, just so you know, 
Bahamas is Afi. What's up with the title? Uh, well, it certainly wasn't meant to be some sort of aggressive thing. Um, but, you know, as, as I sort of start to do these interviews, I'm realizing that maybe there's a lot more uh, ego-related things to it than I even thought of in the beginning, you know. But um, I, I think when I first started playing, you know, it was just an art project. I didn't have an album. I had written some songs. I was playing some shows. And it was just I needed a name for my art project. And Bahamas was a whole lot easier than Bjorn. Strange name, you know, by North American standards, as I'm sure Vish is too, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I was always explaining my name and spelling it and everything. And so at the time, it was just easier to be Bahamas, you know, and, um, you know, it started out as an art project. And now it's sort of become my livelihood and, and my career and everything. And so, I, you know, I just, I guess, want to acknowledge myself and my name and my music and I originally I thought about making like a self-titled record you know saying Bahamas Bahamas because it sort of has this definitive quality to it but um you know then I started I got off on this idea of including my own name in the title and and um that just felt a lot more comfortable to me you know Mm -hmm. so uh so here we are and and I do I, I do fair amount of touring solo and and it always felt a little weird to me when I was just like hey I'm Bahamas, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, that's the name of my project, but it's not like I really get up there and, and have like a, a different persona or this character. It's, it's, uh, it's, um, you know, I'm just trying to do a harder thing, I think, is just be yourself, which is like among the most difficult things to do. And sometimes I succeed and sometimes I fail, but I'll just keep trying, you know? Well, this record of yours, the new one, is very lush and adventurous. I mean, that middle section in um, Waves is really, it's cool. It's really cool and surprising. I really enjoy that. And right on. I, yeah, I was curious about your production mindset going into making this record. What what was on your mind? Well, I, um, yeah, normally in the past, I know we've spoken before, but I, I just, normally in the past, I would set up with musicians, you know, and just sort of trust their musical instincts and, and um and not necessarily jam but but there wasn't be a whole lot of rehearsal we would record quite quickly and you would have a pretty realized version of of what you're hearing back you know once you go in the control room but um i as as i was writing the songs for this one i just sort of had melodic ideas and rhythmic ideas and and just i had a lot of ideas just coming as i was writing the songs and so when i went to record i um yeah i just wanted to do basically do it on my own, you know, and, and take advantage of the fact that I, I can do that. You know, I know it's not, that's not necessarily a new idea. Brian Wilson did that and Elliot Smith did that very successfully. And, um, yeah, I called my friend Don Kerr and he's got this studio in Toronto, you know, and, uh, I would just ride my bike over there and we would record in his basement and we set up a bass thing and a piano station and a guitar station and a drum station. And I could just sort of run around in circles and, and you know if i uh if i had a, an idea i could sort of act on it right away and um i don't know that was really satisfying you know i'd never really done that before i know that's probably a lot more common than i than i had thought about or realized before but yeah i don't know it was really fun you know you can just kind of there's a lot of agility musically speaking when you do things that way so you're playing primarily everything on this record, and, and you made it at the Rooster. Don Kerr's studio is called the Rooster. Is that right? Yeah, he uh, he would have played drums on uh, half a dozen or seven or eight. 
half the album, I'd say Don Kerr played drums. You know, he was downstairs and I was upstairs, so he would hit record and then run over the drum kit, and we would sort of record the two of us, and then I would layer the tracks up. You know, um, but yeah, I, I got to play drums on a few of the tunes, and and uh, I don't know, I don't often get to do that, so it was really it was really fun. You know, I, I sort of had these really, in a way, like naive drum ideas, naive rhythmic ideas, just about unison. I really feel like unison is a underutilized and powerful musical tool. Um, obviously, the opposite, you know, harmony is used all the time, and I, I use it too, and I think that's really moving too. But when it came to drums, I was just doing simple stuff like playing the, a kick drum part four times, you know, just layering up the same kick drum part. And then same thing with the snare drum or with a hi-hat part, you know, doubling it. And so just trying to find interesting ways to move the song along without necessarily having like a full on drum kit, traditional, you know, rock sound or anything like that. Huh? So that I did notice some, what I thought were affected drums, but you're saying that it's, it's potentially they're just multi-tracked drum tracks. They're just multi-track like on waves. That would be, uh, many, many, many layers of tracks. You know, there'd probably be four kick drums and the hi-hats are doubled and um you know the what would be the snare sound although there's no snare that's that's doubled and there's obviously some tom you know more orchestral type tom parts and those are all doubled and tripled so yeah you kind of end up with this really textured sound you know and and um it's not necessarily i, I didn't really want it to be this overwhelming you know i don't know like oppressive sound but i definitely wanted to yeah, like I said, just find ways to move the song along without having like a traditional drum kit um, on every track, you know? So, you know, this is a bit of a departure for you. This is something you haven't done before. Uh, is this the result of feeling... I mean, I assume you did this because it, it interested you, this the idea of experimenting with this. But I often wonder if, you know, this is your third record. You've established a rapport with an audience you know, critics are familiar with you now. From your perspective, has Bahamas been pigeonholed in any way? Do you feel like you were trying to, you know, challenge people's expectations of what you were doing with this record? Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm trying to challenge my own expectations in a way. You know, I mean, again, like I, I you know, I know that's that's probably a, a, a familiar position for most artists to be in, not just musicians, but, you know, y you don't, you kind of always want to, push yourself you always want to surprise yourself and that doesn't always happen you know sometimes you rely on things that you know work and um yeah i guess the the i i really think of myself as a songwriter first more than a guitar player or more than a you know a performer or whatever i i enjoy doing those things but i songwriting is something that i really love i spend a lot of time doing it and it's not easy. <laughs> it requires a lot of effort. And sometimes you work really hard on something and it just, it just doesn't come together, you know? So in a way, I feel like these new tunes, I just kind of, I just wanted to see how far I could get and still have my voice and my personality, my musical personality sort of remain intact, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's, um, I think there's lots of other artists, I guess like a contemporary artist would be someone like Beck or something like that. You know, he's someone who go, I would say goes even further, you know, he sort of does different genres completely of music 
and his his musical personality is very much intact and and I would say although I'm not directly influenced musically by him I think that spirit and that energy um, can be pretty inspiring you know and I think David Bowie and and Bob Dylan and you know a lot of, a lot of guys like that who are just sort of able to go to a lot of different places yeah you've cited people who have both they're chameleons but they're also open-minded music makers they're chameleons, yeah, but they're they're also like almost immediately recognizable. Um, you know what I mean? Um, it's that that's really hard to do. It's very hard to just be even self-aware of that, whether that's there or not. Um, you hope that it is, but you know you, you don't really know. I think time is obviously the thing that reveals whether that's there or not. And so, you know, I, I do aspire to make a a lot of albums and I, and I do hope that there's a lot of diversity in there. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, I'm really lucky, man. I, I just, I wanted to play guitar when I was like 16 years old and I'm still doing that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, no, yeah, no, it's a, it's a rare, it's your, I know what you're saying. It's a rare thing. And yeah, you've, you found a, a real audience for it. Um, yeah. you mentioned that you really love songwriting and I mean, I, I imagine a lot of songwriters do, but are there, Particular things you you lo- love or or loathe about the process of getting a batch of songs together and and working them out. Um, well, I, I the part that I love the most is maybe the most, and it's the most selfish. Is just like when it when the idea is just sort of germinating, and and you can hear it in your musical mind, but perhaps you know your fingers or your voice. Um, haven't they're just on the cusp of translating this thing into what would be recognizable music, you know? Before that, they're just ideas, and um, I I really love that moment, and it's it's maybe the most elusive for me, and I would assume like most other people who are writing things. Um, yeah, I mean that's like that's the most exciting time when you just you just create something that didn't exist, you know, a minute before. And then suddenly you're, you're, you realize it and you're in the presence of that thing. Mm -hmm. And you realize that there's this little seed of something and you, you're like, wow, okay. And you think about the rest of your day. Okay. I got to go to the bank and I got to go grocery shopping and I got to do all these other things. And you say, hang on, I'm going to like push those aside and I'm going to try and fan the flames a little bit and see if I can get this thing happening, you know? And, maybe a verse comes or maybe the whole song comes, but that, that part of songwriting is the most visceral. And I think the most exciting part for me. It's interesting that you say that because I, in listening to the songs on this record, I hear uh, aspects of hope. I hear, you know, encouragement, uh, celebration and joy. Do you see a through line of discussion between these songs? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I see a through line through a lot of my, writing and from album to album with those those topics that you mentioned you know i think um writing songs about um struggle or or about conflict you know whether it's emotional or or otherwise that's been something that i go to a lot and and uh on the other hand i I feel like i'm always trying to sort of discuss those things with a little bit of celebration um yeah, I, 
I try and not just be a downer all the time. You know what I mean? So finding some way to sing about those ideas, um, whether it's my own experiences or sort of watching my friends or my family and trying to reflect those in my songwriting, you know, it's, it's um, finding some way to celebrate all the broken bits. You know what I mean? That's, um, that's the challenge. And I think a lot of the, when I think back on the music that I like, a lot of the saddest songs are actually the most uplifting. Right. You know, um, it's like sad songs that are just full of love. You know what I mean? That's, uh, like, like, uh, Willie Nelson's you were always on my mind. You know, it's this sort of heartbreaking song, but really when you're listening to it, you're just, you're just feeling energized by the melody and, and the lyrics, you know, are sort of carrying this other weight to them. And I, and the, I, lo- I love that dichotomy. Yeah. There's a song on the record where you sing about uh, wanting to name a kid Owen. <laughs> yeah. what, yes, that's what is, true. What is that about? Well, first and foremost, it's uh, it rhymes with the previous couplet. <laughs> um, you know, Kevin and uh, Jason and thing, those other types of names didn't fit so nicely in there. Uh-huh. You know? um, but yeah, I just sort of had this this. You know, I guess it's just sort of a, a foggy memory of a dream of, you know, of, and it's something I've sung about before, but, you know, this idea of family and, and, and growing older and all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, it's just a, it's just a, I hope, um, a clever reference to my own mortality or something. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. I, I don't know what it means, but it's, it's sort of just, it's just uh, imagery, you know what I mean? It's just sort of playing with words to sort of like suddenly take you to a different place. No, it know? totally works. It totally stuck out. Well, sorry, what song is it again? It's called Can't Take You With Me. Can't Take You With Me, yeah. Sorry, I don't have the yeah. actual record. I've just been going through the stream. And anyway, yeah, right. that, that stuck out for me. That totally stuck yeah. out for me. And I, I, it did take me away. It take, took me out of that passive listening experience to this very, this, the specificity of that lyrical choice was pretty interesting, I thought. Yeah, well, I'm I'm glad to hear that. That's cool. <laughs> now you mentioned that you've been playing guitar since you were 16. I want to ask you what first got you into music as a as a listener. Um, well, I I honestly I think more than anything else is just my friends, you know, it's just peer pressure. I I was really into sports and athletics and and was just always playing basketball or hockey, just always outside and skateboarding, anything when I was younger. And then a couple of my friends got guitars. And, um, yeah, I just started playing their guitars and then I was begging my mom for a guitar for a long time. And then I finally got one and it was just sort of, you know, I just, it very quickly became an obsession and, and, um, and then I, you know, realized that like, man, if I like try to do a kickflip and break my arm, I won't be able to play guitar and that's going to be a big bummer. So the music sort of took over all of my free time. And thankfully it just came with a whole social aspect, you know, all the Zeus guys, all those guys that I grew up with, we were all just playing together when we were teenagers. And, um, yeah, I mean, as you know, it's like, that's, that's the best part about it is just that it's sort of, it's so inclusive, you know, you, it comes with all this other stuff beyond the music that has to do with friendship and, and, uh, entertainment and it's, it's a hobby. And it just so happens that now it's my, it's my, career too you know 
Yeah, it's definitely it can, if if it's done well, I think it's a really great social enterprise to to play music with yeah. your friends. Yeah. And, yeah, absolutely. And so, when did you? When did you? Well, actually, but before we get to that, your your what was your upbringing like exactly? Were your parents supportive of your various interests, or were you rebelling in any way? Uh, I I I wasn't trying to rebel. I I I can't say I had the most shining academic career. Mm. Um, I spent way more time playing music, and. Uh, and uh yeah you know I was my my mom raised us she's a single mother and she was always really really supportive you know she set up a jam space for us in the basement and so we kind of were always hanging out at at uh at our house and yeah I don't know I mean I when I told her that I wasn't going to finish high school you know I said mom I'm in a band I'm going to play music you know I'm going to move to Toronto at first she was kind of like well Okay, if you're gonna, you know, that's what you're gonna do. You got to start paying rent, and she—that was kind of her push, I suppose, to say, okay, you're gonna do this. You better really do it, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's pretty common, you know. I think a lot of people kind of get that same reaction from their parents: is just get the hell out, get your act together. Yeah. And um, yeah, I don't know. I I I'm I feel lucky that when I moved to Toronto, I met guys like Pete Elkis and and uh, you know. Ian McGettigan and Matt Murphy and a lot of those guys who were just a little bit older than I am. And, you know, I played in bands that got to open for their bands and, and sort of met other artists and, and writers and just, just creative people, you know, who are busy doing stuff. And I think that that's just awesome energy to be around. And it wasn't, it was a new thing for me because in Barrie, there was like really small community, wasn't very many venues or outlets for us to do stuff. And so moving to Toronto was just like, I imagine it would be like what Bob Dylan felt like when he went from Minnesota to New York. You know, you just sort of, I don't know, you just, you just feel like your, your mind is being blown. Now, you know, I've lived here for over 10 years and it feels the opposite. It feels like a small town. You know, you're walking down the street and you see the same, you see all your friends and our whole lives are in a couple kilometers. You know, we can ride our bicycles to the grocery store and everything's close. But at the time, I remember just, I just thought, wow, this is amazing. And those guys really included me, you know, and, and I really, um, I'm really grateful and I still see them around and, and yeah, I don't know. That, that's, that was really important to me. And I'm, I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. Now you started playing, you, you, so you basically, you dropped out of high school to play music. When did you first start playing out, so to speak? When did you, when were your, what were your first experiences like playing music publicly? Um, it was, it was right around that time. I was probably 18 years old and I was in my fifth year of, of, uh, passive, uh, secondary school. You know, I was in high school and I was doing what then was called OAC. I don't think it's around anymore. Yeah, I did OAC. I did OAC. Did you? Made a huge difference. I didn't do anything. I basically worked, (laughs) I worked hard in grade nine and then what was grade 13 here uh, at the time, which we called OAC. Yeah. 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 Right. Well, anyhow, I I went back for the fifth year, but I you know I didn't attend all that much, and I didn't end up getting enough credits and all this sort of stuff. But um, we started. We I had a band at that time. We kind of thought of ourselves more of as like a punk band or whatever, you know, or, or indie rock band. We we were the kind of band that would open for other bands. And so, what was the name uh, of the band? Oh, I can't. I'd rather not say. You do. You, I, you I, don't. You don't want to say the name of the band. 
I'd rather not say. In, in case there's like video footage on the internet, you know what I mean? It's like you and we're I, right on the we're right on the cusp. There there might be some incriminating footage. I think my voice may have dropped like three octaves since then. So I feel like um, you and I shared a stage somewhere once in London or Windsor with a band I was in at the time, and you were in. Well, a, that's was that that's probably that's I, I would say that's very likely. Okay. Um, because right. we, you know, our first experiences were exactly that. Wherever we could, you know, we borrowed the drummer's father had a minivan and we borrowed the van and we would go to Ottawa and we would go to Windsor and London and these kind of places. And for us, that was like, man, we're going on tour, you know, that was really exciting. Huh. Um, yeah. So the we... big, the big whole, the big deal was getting a gig in Toronto, you know, at the new music Tuesdays and all that kind of stuff. At that time, it was like, that was the gig and Ted's wrecking yard and all that stuff. So, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, you don't want to own it then. You want this to just stay hidden. I'll tell you off the record. No. <laughs> well, <laughs> Next I just, time I see you somewhere, I'll, we'll 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 figure out if the two of us did actually play together. No, we definitely know? we definitely played together. I think of the band I was in at the time was probably the Neutron Stars. And, oh, okay. And I think we played together. Yeah, like I say, London or Windsor or somewhere like that. I remember meeting it you. It was it was called the Heat. The, the name. Th- oh, the, okay. It was the the band was called the Heat. <laughs> and it was like a, it was like a three piece band. We were like way too cocky. We we weren't very good. Now hang on a second. Are you just describing the Miami Heat? Are you describing Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, and Chris Bosh? It sounds like the exact same scenario. Exactly. Yeah, I played I played in a band with all those guys. Chris Bosh is a crazy bass player. He's amazing. Ah, uh, all right, all right. The Heat. I don't even you know. Remember. And like sharing hotel rooms and everything was really. Yeah, you don't remember for good reason, man. <laughs> no, I remember the band, and I remember meeting you specifically because you were really sweet. You were a good guy. I remember liking you, and but I don't really. Yeah, okay. Re- no, you were. You don't think you were? Well, no, I, I I appreciate that. I mean, it's you know that feels like a long time ago, and so it's it's. I just don't of remember. I, I don't remember my, it being I, called the Heat. I don't. I just don't think it was called the Heat. I thought it was something else. But anyway, go ahead. You well, say- anyhow, it's it's. Uh, <laughs> You know, we, 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 that's how we, that's how I met a lot of people that, that lived in Toronto or at least were on their way to moving to Toronto and things like that. And so, you know, it didn't seem like I was moving to Toronto and, and sort of blind. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's always nice when you go somewhere and there's someone, you know, and I think music was just like a great introduction and still is that way, you know, I'm still a few weeks ago, I was like going to LA, and and, a, and another guy that I know is like, "Hey, man, you should hang out with my friend Ryan. He really likes playing guitar." And so we like we basically went on a blind date, you know. Like I don't really know too many people in LA. I have a few friends, but I went on a blind date with this guy, and he was really nice. And like we just hung out. We went to a guitar store where we had coffee. We just talked about guitars and music and stuff. And like I thought, man, this is awesome. Like this is exactly what I. I don't know. That's that's kind of what I was doing 15 years ago, and it's just kind of nice to still be doing that thing. You know what I mean? That's... There's a there's a there's a naivety to it that I really appreciate, and and uh, you know you can't take it for granted. But that's totally what I remember. I remember yeah. you being like you seemed eager and happy to be doing what you were doing, and yeah. like keen to just meet people on the road. I got that impression <laughs> yeah. from you, and I do remember seeing you maybe a few years after that, and you bringing this up. Like, oh, yeah, 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 we met at such and such. I can't remember if it was the embassy or some 
right. place in Windsor, but you brought it up specifically, and I was like, oh yeah, 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 I totally remember. But right, yeah. Do you it, remember Fantastic Pop Festival in Windsor? Yes, I do remember that. It was this woman, Carly Marcou. Yes, and and, and uh, she had another friend. I can't remember the friend's name, but they had a, like a label, and they would yeah they organized this festival. It was very short lived, but but uh, I think it was around that time, okay. which is probably like two thousand or two thousand and one. Yeah. Somewhere in that period, right? Yeah, I mean, I was playing in the band I was in that I ref- the Neutron Stars. Yeah, around then. Oh, oh t- yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, right around then. That's when we would have made the record. Oh one, oh two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was somewhere in that zone. Yeah, and then I- after that, I you know I moved to Toronto and I was playing first. I was playing solo, and and I was playing as Afi back then. You know, I just I I didn't have an album or anything, but I would play at uh, bars around and play solo and things like that but pretty quickly after that you know i started playing again with all the guys from barry um right. the the zeus guys and we had a band called pasomino that's right and uh yeah we you know made a cd on our own and See, sort of started playing with jay colette and all that stuff and i feel like know. i played with pasomino is it possible that uh, that's that sounds more familiar that's to me. that's that's very possible and that would have been early 2000s you know basically right when i moved to toronto we were sort of starting to do that that stuff and and um yeah we were playing playing a fair amount of our own shows we didn't really tour too much on our own we didn't have like a record deal or anything like that so i was mostly playing with friends and stuff like that but you know once we started playing with jay colette we we got a chance to travel and you know that that's that that's that was really fun. Okay, I think it's Pasomino. I think it, that's yeah. what it was. I remember the name, like I remember not remembering the name, but being like it's a pretty, yeah. it's a pretty distinctive name. And, it's a weird name. <laughs> and so the guys from Zeus, everyone from Zeus was in Pasomino, or oh, everyone but Neil, right? Um, Carlin wasn't in the band; he was doing sound, um, and then he eventually joined Jay Collette's band when I left. And he started playing with Jay Collette. And, uh, you know, and then from there, Zeus was kind of born right around the same time that I was trying to figure out what am I doing? I'm, I'm making my own album again. And what's it called? You know, and that sort of Bahamas and Zeus, I would say, um, had a very similar timeline. And in fact, they have an album coming out in a few weeks, too. We, we always since then, we've always kind of been on similar schedules, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I can tell. And whenever I've been around you guys together, there's always a real camaraderie. Yeah, well, I love those guys, and and you know, everyone's busy doing their own thing. But it's kind of it's so fun when you get to run into each other at a festival or whatever. You know, it's it's uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's now, a, lot, a lot of celebration. So these guys, in a sense, your friends inspired you as much of as you mentioned a few key figures. I don't even know if you mentioned them as musical heroes when you talk about Dylan or Bowie or Beck, but. <sighs> But Zeus, like those guys, playing with those guys, that was an inspiration to you. Uh, yeah, I mean, it still is, you know what I mean? I think that we, we've always kind of been doing some, you know, creative pursuits, right? We've always been writing songs, we've always been playing together, and now we sort of have our own projects. And uh, yeah, I think... I think there's a really healthy competitive aspect to when your friends are making something that you think is heavy, you know, it kind of elevates you. It makes you want to put in that much more effort to try and try and do something that's, that's on the same level, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I, 
I'm yeah, man. I feel really lucky that a lot of the people that I've worked with, you know, Jay Collette and Feist and and uh, Zeus and you know, it wasn't like I was like I'm gonna be a guitar player and I'm gonna I'm gonna move to Toronto and just like do this this and this and it, it sort of just happened to be like the people that I was playing with at the time were just making stuff that was really cool. I thought. <laughs> And it just so happened that a lot of other people thought it was cool too, you know. So, I gotta um, say, I just got a flash as you were talking there of like young competitive basketball playing. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. <laughs> you're talking about like, you know, it's not a competition, but I get the impression by you saying it's not a competition. It's a little bit of a competition. Well, I think by its nature, the way that we that we market albums, the way that we put out albums, and and frankly, the way we measure the success of albums now, yes, it's competitive. It's, it's not my focus. My my focus isn't to like fucking be better than my friends or whatever. I want to have a successful career in music. That I will acknowledge my ambition. Yes. Um, you know, I, I, in fact, I think that's that's something that's sort of lacking from from indie rock and music in general. It's just sort of there's this idea that we're supposed to be, you know, somehow it's descending from above. Like I don't know how this happened. I don't know. Like suddenly I'm popular. It's like well, actually, you've just been doing it a long time and working really hard on it and yep. playing lots of shows and writing songs. I mean, that's that's a much more accurate portrayal than just like someone knocking on the door and saying, hey, do you want to be a musician? Yeah, um, success in music is rarely accidental. Yeah, I, I think so. And there's a, there's no shortage of, you know, evidence to support that. But mm. yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, the way these things are measured now, man, like it's not about album sales or anything like that anymore. It's just about, it's about something completely different. And so it seems like it's so easy to manipulate the optics now for people, you know, you can be perceived as some great success because the way that people are consuming things is, is you have full control over that now, right? Yeah. So, um, now we're getting, this conversation is veering off into technology. No, it's good. That's what these conversations are supposed to do. I I like, I like learning where you're at with that stuff because we're all grappling with it. Yeah, I talked to Doug Paisley about this uh, on this show not too long ago, yeah. uh, a few months ago. We were talking about that, mm-hmm. how he tries not, you know, everything is there's all, everything has a metric, so yeah. and he tries not to pay attention to like how many YouTube views. He's, I know Doug's. I think you introduced me to Doug. 
I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. He's another friend of mine. I've played a lot of music with him. We live together and, and tour together. And yeah, I don't know. He's he's a fantastic songwriter. He's the best. He's guitar a player. great guy too. And we had a really, I thought he was really thoughtful in his sort of, in, in, in sort of articulating where he's at in grappling yeah. with that whole, yeah. this me, 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 Instagram, all this, all the kind of metrics like likes and num- yeah. and, and like views. He, he's like, yeah, I try not to pay attention to that stuff. Yeah, well, I think we all try not to. Uh, the reality is that so many of the people I work with make their decisions based on that stuff. Yeah, um, and that's in fact where we're where we're gaining incredible amounts of information about the people who are listening to your music on these websites. You know what I mean? Like we're routing our entire tour based on based on how people listen to music on the internet. We're yeah. not using record sales, and we're not using a fan club or a newsletter or something like that. We're we're going on these websites. You can see who's listening, when they're listening, how much they listen. You know what I mean? They, these are active people who are a- actively engaging with your music and suddenly you have all this access to this information. I mean, it's kind of terrifying, you know what I mean? <laughs> Before, you would have gone on intuition, right? Like just because somebody buys a CD, that doesn't mean that they might buy the CD and put it in their glove box and never listen to it again. Yeah, yeah It's yeah. like it doesn't necessarily translate, right? So the the incredible and terrifying thing about all this technology is that you, you can actually see how much and how frequently and in what scenario these people are using your music. And, and I, I don't know. That's, that's, I think that's going to be the thing that entirely changes the, uh, you know, the music business. And, and I think to a greater extent, uh, almost every art form. Musicians these days are basically spies. It's all surveillance, kind of. <laughs> yeah. In a weird way. Yeah, that's strange. I want to. Well, I think that there's this idea that I think that the funny part is, and I and I don't, I don't know, I don't want to get too cynical about the music business because I'm not. I'm really, I'm, I really feel like I'm in a lucky position. And, uh, but the the thing that I think I, I think a lot of people don't realize is that all these websites, you know, Facebook or Spotify or any of these sort of things that involve social media, we are literally not their customer. We are being told that we are the customer and they're constantly redesigning the site and trying to make better profiles and advantages for us and customizing it. It's all about the user. But really, we are actually the product that's being sold. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. All those sites, they're just constantly refining them so they can gather more information about you so they can sell that information. That's, that's, where, that's what they're actually selling is your information. Yeah. They're not selling you anything. You're, you're getting most of that stuff for free. Mm-hmm. You know, you're interacting with all these websites for free. And I, I think that people forget that. You know what I mean? Yeah. That we are being turned into the product. And, and I – yeah. I mean, there's a whole conversation there, obviously, that's <laughs> taking place in the New York Times and a bunch of other reputable publications. So I should probably like just reserve my commentary just for my own, you know, for my own family and friends and stuff like that. No, but no, no. You're, on, you're that onto that, something there. You're onto something. Well, I, I think that there's a there's a deeper thing there, and I and I think that'll be, or I, I hope that that'll be the thing that people start to realize, people start to question, and people start to take back some ownership. Over how they engage with the products that they that they buy. 
you know, whether it's music or anything else, you know what I mean? Yeah. You want to have that, that relationship with the things that, that you consume and the things that you buy. That's often what makes them special is, is that personal relationship. And I think you lose a lot of that when you just put it all out there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I totally agree. Now, speaking of special things, I want to ask you about Peter Elkis. You, <laughs> you, you mentioned wonderful segue. It worked really well. I thought I was happy with it. I'm sure Pete will be happy with it That's when great. he hears this. Now, you uh, mentioned him earlier yeah. as someone you you admire. When I hear your records, I hear Pete's influence almost more than anybody's. Um, as someone who's followed his music, uh, can you? And yet, at the same time, Pete, for those who don't know, you know, he's a he's a somewhat obscure, I think, unappreciated singer and songwriter. Can you? talk a little bit about Pete and maybe how he has influenced you in some way? Well, I think, um, I, and him and I have talked about it before too, where we sort of realized, and I think it kind of scared us both a little bit, how we had really, really similar, the things that we loved and the things that we were obsessing over were almost identical. You know, Sam Cooke and Bruce Springsteen and 50s rock and roll and musically speaking there was just almost too many similarities uh, we we've never really played too much music together uh i think i thought for a while like wow this would be cool you know like we've always had lots of laughs and spent lots of time hanging out and stuff not so much in recent years but but when i first moved to toronto we were you know hanging out pretty tight and the, and this whole group of guys that i that i met but um yeah i th- i think you're right man i think he's a great songwriter I think he's an incredible guitar player, and um, I think, uh, yeah, I think like most Peter Elkis fans, I always just want more Elkis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what no, I mean. Yeah, no, he's he... always putting out like albums with ten songs on it, and I'm just like, give us more, just put out more music, dude. Like we, that's what that's what we want, you know. Do you do you um, would you cite him as an influence on kind of what what has become Bahamas? Um. Yeah, I, I I think it's in in a lot of ways. If it if it is, it's indirect. You know. Yeah. It's it's um. I I, I think we kind of approach music from a similar standpoint, and um, and I and I've especially admire his party at one record, and you know, but all his songs, but um, but I, that first album really, you know, it had a, and I think for many people, it just sort of came at the right time. It was like really fresh sounding. I love Don Kerr. I mean, I just worked with Don Kerr. Interestingly right? enough, like, you just worked with Don Kerr. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, and that was 10 years ago that he would have done the Party One record or whatever. And <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, my ear is drawn to, I think, a lot of the same kinds of sounds, you know. So um, if, if you know, people hear a resemblance, uh, I'm I'm flattered to be in that company. You know, I really admire him and respect him. Yeah, and I'm not trying to draw. I I hope it doesn't sound like uh, I'm not suggesting either one of you sounds too much like each other. I can just yeah. You seem like brothers from another mother. It just seems like you two are making very similar music. But you know, for whatever reason, Pete's uh, records are still kind of, as I say, this this underground. Right. They're, they're appreciated, but it's a weird. It's weird. Like he's not making underground music. He's making totally accessible. Rock, yeah, folk rock music, and 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 you know you are too, but he's yeah. he's uh, he's still kind of I think a bit obscure, and and you know your profile is you're doing great. I'm happy for you. 
Don't get well, me wrong. I mean, man, he's doing great too. You know, he's he's always making music, and and I think he, you know, from what I understand, he really loves walking dogs too, and he's got a young daughter, and he's young hanging people. out with Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, I mean, I, I to you know, I would say that he's uh, his career is equally as happening in a totally <laughs> different and wonderful way. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. So, now, I, yeah. I, we're, we're, I just want to, I've been asking a couple of people this recently, and I thought you might be a good candidate for this question. And I, I, I'll give you a second to think about it. But since you, I, I want to know about the most absurd moment in your musical life thus far. I, you've done a lot of touring. You've been around the world. You know, you've made records. Can you think <laughs> of something that's, that strikes you as particularly absurd that uh, has befallen you as Bahamas? Wow. Well, I can. I, I've told this story before, but it's almost, I, I feel pretty confident that it's worth telling again. Um, when I played with Feist, we, we played at the Grammys. I think it was in 2007 or 2008. In any, in any case, it was several years ago, but I do remember quite clearly uh, all of us feeling completely out of our element. Um, you know, obviously that her her albums of great success and and did really well in every sense of the word and everything. So, so we sort of found ourselves in this position. We were at the Grammys and um, we were performing on the show, and uh, we were waiting backstairs backstage. You know, this is a huge production, right? Huge TV show. It's the same people that make the Super Bowl yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and all these other big events, right? So we're in, a, in it's, you're in various states of holding patterns, right? They, they kind of put you in this one room and, okay, you're going to be playing in 50 minutes. We need you here. And then you move to this other room. Okay, you're going to be playing in 20 minutes. And then you move a little closer to the stage and they say, okay, you're going to be playing in 10 minutes. So we were, I think Brad Paisley was on, there's these two stages, they're side by side. And uh, Brad Paisley was on one just doing a crazy guitar solo and it, and, uh, so then we were to be on this other stage, you know, and we were waiting backstage and we were getting all mic'd up and everything. And we're, you know, there's people everywhere and we sort of see all this commotion. It's in a hockey arena. So we see all these, you know, people kind of coming down the aisle behind us and we see a golf cart. And suddenly I see Aretha Franklin in this golf cart and she's going to be playing after us. So she's now moving her way through the holding pattern and she's just behind us. And, uh, so she's in this golf cart and she's drinking from a two liter bottle of Diet Coke. Like she's holding this plastic bottle of Coke and she's drinking out of it. And I, and we were all like, I mean, there was a lot of people backstage, you know, we were all just like, holy crow. That's like Aretha Franklin. You know, we were just in awe of her presence. Sure. And she was in, in a lot of ways, like oblivious to our presence and was just <laughs> drinking from this two liter bottle of Coke. So she's in this golf cart and the stairs are kind of, uh, she's in the passenger side of the golf cart and the stairs to the stage are on the on the driver's side. And so rather than pull up the golf cart and have her get out and walk around the golf cart to the staircase, they've decided that they want to do an Austin Powers style like 25 <laughs> point turn. And I mean, they're at while they're doing this turn, it's just holding up traffic, right? Because there's there's all these other people that are moving around facilitating the show and TV cameras and all this kind of stuff. So she's doing this 25 point turn right in front of us and the driver is, you know, really patient and doing this thing. And then she handed her two liter of bottle of diet Coke to the driver and she walked on stage and she just like ripped it, man. She just, she just, she totally slayed. And then we realized we were kind of like, Oh my God, that was incredible. And then we realized that we have to go on after Aretha Franklin 
you know. Wow. Like after having this kind of strange encounter and then her completely destroying the audience and whatever millions of people on TV, we were like, wow, we have to play after Aretha Franklin. And I played the recorder and, you know, Jay-Z and Beyonce were like 20 feet away. And I just remember looking at them being like, I'm sorry, Aretha Franklin is just better. She's better (laughs) than us. Like, that's what I was thinking. Of course, you know, at the moment, it's very exciting and and everything to be a part of that. But we were just kind of passing visitors in this other world, you know? Yeah. So uh, I would say that would be a very, very strange and unlikely musical moment for me. Um, I'm, I'm glad I was, you know, shared it with my, with my pals and, and can laugh about it now. But at the time, man, I, I had no idea what the hell we were doing there. I'm still uh, blown away that she was chugging Diet Coke before singing. Because <laughs> you got all those bubbles. You got the aspartame. There's aspartame. I know. She could have forgotten lyrics to songs. What is wrong with Aretha Franklin? That is, I don't know. That is but not... You know what? Let her do it. Let her do as she will. She's earned it at this point. You know, if she wants to drink whatever she wants. Wow. I think there's a lot worse things she could be drinking at, you know? It's not <laughs> like she was drinking out of a vodka bottle or anything. She was just drinking. She was just having some Coke, you know? Yeah, no, no, you're so, right. Uh, That's right. And it clearly, so, it didn't hinder her in any way. Well, good for, good for her. Yeah. She knows what she's doing. Now, by this, that was a great story. By the same token, this is, this is taking on a, a darker side. What's the most dangerous or dangerous or scariest situation you've been in? As a musician, you know, there's traveling, there's oh. being on stage. Have you ever felt like your life was in peril as a musician? Uh, yeah, I mean, in fact, at one time in PEI, I was playing a festival and Joel Plaskett was there and the Great Lake Swimmers. And uh, we we're playing this festival. And I mean, it was just like the worst storm ever. And they, you know, normally in these circumstances, the organizers, I think, you know, they would have insurance and they'd be in a position to, pull the plug once it gets to a certain point but i don't know if these guys were just cowboys or what you know i'm not sure if the festival's still running but they were insistent that we keep on going i mean we were playing and there was like six inches of water on the stage just torrential downpour barely an audience the audience had just like escaped you know tried to find shelter and then i think we finished our set and joel was playing next and the power just totally died you know everything just went shot during their set um i don't know i mean that that's pretty scary you know like for the obvious sort of electrical reasons but it's just sort of scary that people would be so dedicated to having a show happen or something that, that they, they put the, go through that either. yeah they put the artists at risk and then the audience at risk that is terrible yeah it's a it was a little weird but we ended up having you know everything was fine no one was hurt and we we were staying in this little bed and breakfast that had been basically taken over by all the musicians playing at the festival. And so we had a nice little hang, okay, you know, good. just candlelit hang in the hallways. And, and uh, so even though it was kind of scary, we have a positive memory from that. Worth the risk. Yeah. <laughs> now, you're pretty experienced when it comes to album prom- promotion cycle stuff by this point, the interviews, the touring, the reviews. Uh, what do you love and dread most about putting out a new album these days? We kind of talked about this a little bit in terms of how people consume the music and how kind of nefarious your people might be knowing what, you know, how they're consuming it. But is there anything that you particularly love and particularly hate about uh, Um, having a new album out? Well, I mean, it's always exciting for sure. You know, I like I've only made three albums. So in a lot of ways, I, 
you know, there's still a lot more room for me to get totally burnt out on the process. Um, I'm still really excited to, you know, put this out there and, and have people hear it and, and, and really just, just to play, man. Like I, like most people, I get pretty exhausted by all the traveling. Yeah. Right now there's a lot of flying around and, and just, you know, that, that can really drive you bonkers. Um, I, I do like being at home and being with my family and my friends and everything, but, but, um, you know, it, the truth is like, I can't play in Toronto every night of the week. And furthermore, I can't, I can't, I can't play here more than like once or twice a year, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's sort of, if you just sort of accept that necessity and saying, okay, well, I'm going to go, I'm going to go play music in Boise, Idaho. I'm going to go play music in Portland, Maine, you know, you sort of, uh, you sort of, you know, you just kind of get into it, right? It's like, you can, you can, it is what you make of it. And, uh, as, as sort of the years have gone on and I've got a chance to do a lot of it, um, I feel, and I hope that I'm establishing some healthier routines, you know? Um, cause if you just kind of do the cliche stuff, you make really bad decisions and, and, uh, you know, you burn out, right? Yeah. And, and it, you don't have to be at some rock star Motley crew level to burn out, right? Like, in fact, I think at our level, it's, there's not a lot of luxury. It's just, we're just, we're just doing it because we want to do it. And, um, yeah, I think that, that's, that's the most exciting thing for me is just the idea of getting out there and playing, you know? I figured as much. Why else would you be doing yeah. this? Yeah, you know, like you you gotta yeah. you gotta love doing it. Yeah, I I do love doing it, and um, <clears throat> and I don't have very many other skills. You know, <laughs> I I I don't know what I, else I would do. You know. Yeah. I I fantasized a while ago about opening up a laundromat. I thought like that's like a business I could get into. You know. And then I looked into it, and I it's it's expensive, man. The hydro, you know, you got all these dryers running and everything. I talked to a guy who owned a laundromat, and I was like, "What's what's the deal here? How do I get in on this?" You were really serious, but I were you thinking because it was an essential service, you know, that it wouldn't go away? You were being very practical. I don't know. I I I have only lived in an apartment that had laundry once, and it was awesome. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the time, and especially when I'm traveling and stuff, I spend a lot of time in laundromats, mm-hmm. and and. I don't know. They're they're kind of interesting places. There's like a they're interesting cultural places where we're all bringing our dirty underwear to wash them. You know, <laughs> everyone's sort of standing around and looking at each other, and sometimes you strike up strange conversations. Um, I don't know. I, I I think when in one of my sort of down periods where I was just like, oh, what am I doing trying to play music? You know, this is too hard. I, I'm going to open up a laundromat. I realized that actually. Running a laundromat would be a lot more work than playing guitar. <laughs> well, it sounds as I say, that's a practical thought to have. Are you a laundry guy? Do you like doing your laundry? Hey, man, I don't know if you can see it, but I got it hanging on the back line right now. Do you? Let me just take a look here. We're on the Facetime. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Look at that. Yeah, I'm a hanger too. I don't like drying. <laughs> I don't like drying the laundry. I prefer hanging it. And people yeah. ask me, like, I'm wearing T-shirts I got 30 years ago, and people yeah. are like, how do you? I saw I toured with Royal City in 2000. And I was their road manager, and uh, I was wearing one of the shirts from that tour the other day, and Nathan Laura, the band, was like, where'd you get that shirt? And I said, in, yeah. in the year 2000? And he's like, how, yeah. come, how come it's still together? I'm like, I just don't dry it. I yeah, wash man. it, and I hang it, and it lasts forever. Cold water, yeah. 
People don't know how to do their laundry. That's what I think. So I think if you, you know what, man, you and I should, you guys should team up. You know, <laughs> I mean, you're in Guelph and I'm in Toronto. If we kind of split the difference, maybe Hamilton or something like that, we get a maybe we could buy a nice little building. That'd be a we could have a little jam space up top. You know, get a laundromat going in the basement. If we get a liquor license for that laundromat, then we'll really be laughing. That would be pretty cool. It'd be a complicated uh, laundry line from Guelph yeah. to Toronto and Hamilton. But I think you're onto something, and I'm in. All right. I want to do All right. it. <laughs> we got to so, figure it out. <laughs> so what is realistically next for you? Uh, realistically next is just um, for the next couple of weeks, I'll just, you know, do a bunch of press, which, which uh, you know, it's just traveling, right? I'll go to L.A. for a few days. I'll go to the U.K. for a few days. Um just a lot of flying. And, yeah, you've got you've you got know. a bunch of tour dates and all that coming up. I guess what I meant. Yeah, is- we'll go on t- we'll go on tour in the fall, and um, yeah, pretty much solid till Christmas time. And um, are are you like anywhere near? You know, you made this record. It's it's coming out uh, or it is out, depending on when people hear this. Mm-hmm. You made this record. Do you have other songs kicking around? Are you working on other? Yeah, I have other songs. I I made an instrumental record this winter. I I, I would like to to release it i'm not sure logistically or contractually how i'm gonna do that i haven't figured that part out yet you oh. know michael you know michael p clive right yes from the new grand that's right well you know he went on to have a, a career in in um cooking and he's cooked on tv and yeah. had his own cooking shows and all this kind of stuff so several years ago he asked me he was he was in talks with a network to have a new show and it was going to be kind of like a late night style talk show where he would have guests on and cook with them and all this kind of stuff. And he asked me to write a bunch of songs and I was going to be part of the band that would be in in on the show, you know. And so I wrote all these tunes for that show and and then the show never happened, but I had a lot of fun like I wrote all these tunes they're kind of like meters style, you know, very straight verse chorus verse chorus just sort of guitar based music and uh and uh yeah so this past this winter i've played a few shows in the past but but um this past winter we went into a studio and recorded them and i don't know i i love them i don't think they have a lot of professional applications (laughs) (laughs) maybe if there's like uh if there's a professional wrestler that's looking for music for like walk-on music sure sure um then go ahead and call me and i i'm sure i can get a tune to you but you know, it's like basically music for a body check montage on TSN. You know what I mean? <laughs> maybe, so, maybe you should reform the heat and you guys yeah, can play these totally, songs. Yeah, totally. That might be fun. I mean, maybe a good use of my time. Yeah. It's, it's just trying to get this instrumental band off the ground. But anyway, I did that. So we'll, I'd like to work on that and see if we can find a way to get that out. And I, a little while ago, I went to uh, France and made an album with Tamara, the, the weather station. Oh, cool. <clears throat> and... um I just yeah, she's so great, man. I really like her songs. Yeah, she's the best. And and uh her new tunes. I, I thought we were gonna make kind of like a pretty folky record and we ended up making like a almost like a Fleetwood Mac kind of album. So you know, but featuring all of the wonderful things about her, her her voice and her lyrics and her sensibilities, all those stuff is, is very much intact in her music and so yeah, I'm I I'm not sure exactly when that album's gonna come out, but I'm pretty excited about that too. This is a I saw you when when uh, Tamara and the Weather Station played at the Horseshoe for the You've Changed anniversary party. You were there. Yeah. You were there yeah. playing with her and yeah. uh you mentioned that you you talked to me a little bit about this. So this is a, a Weather Station album proper that you're involved in. Yeah, my friend Robbie and I produced it 
and um, and uh, the, we the three of us went over to France. There's a studio there that that I've you know recorded at before, and we really like it. And um, you know, it's one of these places where you live there and you eat there and you just stay together and make music. So we were there for about a week and a half, and and um, yeah, I I, I uh, she sort of I, I played a lot of the instruments. I played the drums and the bass and the guitars and everything, and and. She played guitar and piano, and and we just sort of had fun building up these songs together, you know? Nice. She's, um, she's truly great. Yeah, she's amazing. Well, it's great to hear that you're working with her, and I, 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 mm-hmm. like, that, I like that union of the mm-hmm. weather, weather station in Bahamas. It's cool. She'll be, doing a, she'll be doing a bunch of shows with us in the fall, so I'm not sure if, if uh, one will make it to the Guelph area. but um, <laughs> I can get she, around. She, I know how to move. I, I, I appreciate you. Were you looking out for me there or my listeners or what? Well, I, uh, all of the above, man. Yeah, it's of true. course. Well, I, I'm, that's true. I do see you around, man. I run into you. You're out on the. You go. You'd go out more than I do. That's for sure. Well, I try to go out a little bit here and there. I, I don't always make it out as much. You know, I'm a father and a. Fam- that's right. I'm a family man with a job. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I try to get out there, and yeah, I, I'm. I'd love to see that bill, so uh, mm-hmm. I'll definitely make it out. I want to tell folks once again: the new Bahamas record is called. Bahamas is AFI, and it's out now via Universal Music Canada. Bahamas has a lot of tour dates across the United States and Canada scheduled between September and November, but you can see him play Riverfest Alora in, in uh, on, uh, sorry, Riverfest Alora in Alora, Ontario, which is kind of hard to say, on Friday, August 22nd. This, you were recently added to this bill. Yes. Yes. I guess, I don't know if someone canceled or what. No, but, uh, I don't think they did. I think you were just added on. Yeah, I think it was last week. Uh, we were, I don't know, we were in Colorado or something like that, and our tour manager was like, is everyone available? Can we play? Can we play in Alora? So, yeah, my drummer doesn't live in Toronto. He lives in Winnipeg now. So it, the, the logistics of us just, like, doing a show spur of the moment are pretty difficult. But uh, thankfully, he's, he's, he's going to fly in and, and do this one with us. This is Jason Tate of The Weaker Thans? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's a, good, he's a great drummer. Great drummer, great guy, uh, and I've been playing with him for many years. Yeah, yeah. All right, mm-hmm. well, folks, can, I'm glad. You know what? I'll see you there. I'm going to see you at that show. I'm hosting that show. Yes, man. Well, <laughs> I'll be there. My mom will be there, and bring your family, and it'll be a big family hang. Awesome, awesome. Well, I was going to tell folks that they can learn all about your tour dates and everything about the record at bahamasmusic.net. Uh, Afi, if we can go out on a song from the new record, which one would you choose? Uh, I'm going to choose Waves just because uh, I think there's a lot of th- a lot of the uh, themes and the musical ideas that I was interested in for this whole album are kind of encapsulated in that one song. So uh, I'm, I'm going to choose Waves. And it kicks off the record, right? That's right. Yeah. So this is telling. I think when you pick the first song on the record, that's your statement. You've got something. Yes. To, you've got something to say with this song. All right. <laughs> <laughs> this is Waves by Bahamas. Afi, a, a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for the time, and I wish you the best of luck with everything. Thanks so much, Fish. And I held the breath inside my lungs for days And I saw myself as one of many waves And when I knew that I'd become the ocean slave I just stayed And we carried forward all the waters past 
of the waves I was not first, I was not last And if we saw a boat afloat We took the mast so fast There's a part of it that I miss At the heart of it Your cold kiss from the start of it grew out of hand And they worked to keep the sea at their command And the only thing they feared had seen the sand The dry land There's a part of it That I miss At the heart of it You're cold Thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. 
You can also follow our Twitter at Vish Creative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at CFRU.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.